Bill Simmons hosts the most downloaded sports podcast of all time with a rotating crew of celebrities, athletes, media staples, and a slew of other friends and family members who always happen to be available. Check out the Bill Simmons podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Cool. Remember those voice videos of what I used to have of Lola saying, are you talking to me? Have you got those? Yeah, could you find them and send them to Roscoe, please? Just gonna might play, I might play on the podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to Writer's House on Ringer FC. Hope you're all safe and well. We're not going to talk much about football today, to be honest. I was trending twice this week. So we'll talk about that. Also talk about watching Sean and Bradley, nerve-wracking business that is as a parent. And then we're going to talk a bit about Pele, the Pele documentary. And my guest today is Mr. Ryan Hun, aka Ryan Hundieta. How do we say <laughs> that one, right? What was the one we say? <laughs> Raisca Hundieta. Hundieta. Give me another one. There's another one. Ilrai Hunduan was your favourite. That's my favourite. Yeah. Ilrai Hunduan. You okay, my friend? I am all right. Thanks. How are you? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so this morning, Rai. If I'm going to be totally honest. You know what I mean? But I feel good because there's a lot of good things happening at the minute. But obviously, Rai, yesterday um, and everything that happened, Harry, Meghan and all the stuff that was going on, right? It was... It was um, one of the, it was it's intriguing and unbelievable television to watch, but obviously, you know, the, the, my, the, the meme, the, the mean Oprah meme is horrible to see. I think that everybody who knows me and know what I'm about, I own that, bro. Mm. I own that. I, you come for me. No yeah. problem. And you've seen, and everybody's seen, I'll own that. I'll share that. I'll do that. But for them to be using someone like Oprah with everything what's going on, um, you know, the stereotypes, you know, what happens with black women and, you know, how, what black women are seen, dark skinned black women as well. And mm. I got an unbelievable email today from a lady called Sadie and it nearly made me cry simply because 
She said she was on Twitter and that literally for 12 hours trying to explain to people and educate people about why that is wrong. Yeah. And, you know, again, you, a black woman, a dark black skinned woman being like, you know what I mean? Saying that she looks like a man and using me in it. And when people who went on there and rightly went on there trying to put this, put the, the, the argument forward, why it's wrong to be doing that. And then just being called snowflake. It's just, it's so, it's, it's, it's sad, right? Simply because it makes my stomach feel really weird because you, you simply can't get to people on International Women's Day, you know, and we're talking about, you know, interview with Meghan and Harry, some unbelievable stuff in that interview. Mm -hmm. and, and what a lot of people took from that is Oprah Winfrey looking like me and that. And I just felt really, I, I got a message from somebody who's majorly high profile. And, you know, I just had to send something back saying, boy, that's one of the great ones, man. You know, what they're doing to black women there. You don't know what happens to black women online, black women in dating apps, how they're ridiculed and the amount of abuse they get for how they look. And, you know, I had to just blast that back in the WhatsApp because you, whatever happens, and like Sadie says, she spent like 12 hours trying to explain to people why it's wrong, you know? You know, I've had messages from everybody mm. about it. And, you know, it's only when people believe that these things are funny and you try to let them know it's not funny, man. It's their way of belittling Oprah in a way that seems socially acceptable that they can pass off as banter. It's not fucking banter, right? No. It's not good, bro. So it was one of those, um, one of those kind of nights because I was doing the football till late <laughs> and someone said, Right, you're trending. I thought, fuck, man. What have I said? Have I said something. I know I haven't said anything. Am I looking mm. too miserable? Uh, <laughs> but like, um, you know, you look at it, and I remember I, I, I sent it to sent it to Roscoe because I got it from somebody, and Roscoe said, "We're not fucking getting involved in this fuckery, bro. This no. is wrong, man." You I did I mean? the same thing. I logged into Twitter, saw you were trending last night, and um, I was chatting to Musa about it. Mm. What's Musa saying? Musa was just like, it was fucking grim. That was his exact words. Yeah, and that yeah. was the exact, uh, to be honest, I'm, right. Uh, you know, obviously just uh, the usual caveat at the top of this, like, you know, I'm a straight white dude. My opinion on this when I saw it was that it just made me feel a little, well, not a little bit, quite a lot sick. Mm. And there's a reason for this because the undertones on it were multiple and mm. very, very bleak. It also dove into like, deep stereotypes. Yeah. All black people look the same. Mm -hmm. Black people are in, indistinguishable from each other. And my opinion on this is that if you want to pass it off as lighthearted banter, and I saw a lot of people that were just like, ah, oh, come on, it's just a joke. Like there's, here's one of Ellen DeGeneres yeah, yeah. and Owen Wilson. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, yeah, but think about it for a second. Is your meme for some retweets and likes and a little bit of banter mm worth digging up years and years and years of trauma for black people and black women specifically is it worth it mm. is your little joke worth it really whether you mean any harm by it or not or whether you think it's quite light-hearted light or not is it worth it right it goes back to the, the simplicity of it. your nan somebody putting something like that about your mum your sister yeah. your nan you know you you know, the, the, I remember the, the, the guy who actually put it on there. That's the kind of, I think I read 
one of the, I read the tweet because I don't really t- read them, but you know, when you just fucking can't stop picking that scab that's not ready. Yeah. Um, but you know, and I looked at it and he said, and he kind of like added me and said, um, come on, right. You've got to find this funny. And I thought to myself, yeah, Jesus that. Christ, bro, you are so missing the point here for me to find that funny. So missing the point because I know, I know what black women go through on a daily basis. And like I say, with Sadie, with the email she wrote, I can't imagine the emotional stress that would have cost her, that would have caused her simply trying to explain on Twitter. Mm. She saved, her, she should have saved, her, saved herself. I'm glad she got in touch simply because, you know, people need to know. What is tough is when you're trying to explain it and they do the snowflake to calling me woke, which I, I still think that they've got that wrong. When, when you're woke, it's because you know you're awake. Yeah, but also this is again like a white hijacking of a black term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this takes work, even the smallest bit of work, i.e. Mm, this tweet could be quite mean, actually. Yeah. And my experience as a straight white guy on the internet in football is vastly different from yours as a black man in football. It's vastly different from anyone in the LGBTQ community. Mm. Black women are subjected to some of the most awful stuff on social media. Am I ever going to know what that feels like? No, mm. but like, is it going to cost me anything as a straight white guy? And I'm kind of speaking for straight white guys in general, hopefully here. Like, is it going to cost me anything if I don't post a meme comparing two black people in terms of likeness? Is it mm. going to cost me anything to not post that? No. Will it cause harm and cost a huge demographic of people? If I post that, yes, then what's the fucking point? No, right. The thing is, right, because you don't want to be, because on this, on this podcast, which, which I love, and I have to say at this point as well, the messages and the support and everything that you get on here is so constructive, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fucking refreshing. It's so good. And that is why I feel like I can come on and, you know, let people know that my fucking my heart has got tears just, you know, just rolling down. You know, that cry when you was younger where, you know what I mean? I done it many times when I was a child, you know, the, the cry where I'm just sad for my situation. And I'm thinking that the whole world was against me when I was younger because everything was going on and tears just rolled down your face. That's how my heart feels this morning. But in respects of trying to let people understand. So don't say, you know, it's banned. Come on, right? It's banned. I just want people to understand why that wasn't funny. That's, I just want the, 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 the guy who sent it to me last night, my friend, to understand why I just sent back, listen, man, that's one of the great ones, bro. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely dissing one of the greats. Come for me. Blast me. Just do what you want. And, you know, leave Oprah out of it, man. Leave mm-hmm. her out. But you know what, right? Just to close it off. One of the things that I could not stop thinking about more than anything else was if they can come for Oprah like that, then what are everyday black women going through? And this is why I say with Sadie is saying she was trying to put people right. What are those people going through? Those dark skinned black women who have to deal with that kind of just like abuses um, all the time. And that is why, you know, I have to say what I've said. And I'm quite pleased that it's here because I know that people understand. And if you don't understand, it's not a problem. There's many podcasts you could go to to get your banter fix and this and that. Oh, I didn't come for that. 
don't if 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 you if you're going to come to writer's house and I I feel I could speak for Stadio, and hear hear it coming from a place of pure love and passion, this ain't the place for you. It's not mm-hmm. the place for you. So that's all I would say in that respect, right? But let me just move on now, right? Simply to the Lacazette man. I was going to say because it's it's not the first time you've been trending in the last couple of days, right? You know, and the the main thing here, right, is I got that wrong. I got that wrong. And it's only the, the screaming at the end. But the reason why I've been okay with it and, you know, me and Roscoe spoke about it. And, and the fact is, right, is that it's always, screaming has always been a problem for me with the guys. Now we can hear it. And we're talking about massive screams to the point where you're thinking, oh my God, it's, it's, something's wrong with this player. This, this week, it just happened to be Lacazette, right? And like I say, I got that wrong. But what I did, when you see all the shit that comes back, and, you know, in hindsight, of course the shit's going to come back, especially that, the fact that it was an Arsenal player and it's me and me and Laka go back and I've, we've, got, we've got correspondence. I got in touch with him on Sunday morning so as we could clear it up and let him know, I explained that Laka, this is not a direct, the way it was portrayed on social media, the way it was, and it was Laka in that particular incident, um, it seems like it was, every, it was digging out Laka. Bam, you are... But we were digging out screaming. Mm-hmm. My biggest mistake was screaming at the end. It was fucking stupid. And at the end of the day, no problem for Gary Lineker. Gary Lineker goes about his business. No problem for Dion Dublin. At the same time, I have to accept and realise what that means to Arsenal fan base, what that means to me for them to feel like one of their own is supposedly digging him out. Now, I can only say I'm digging out screaming. I'm digging out screaming. We're talking about people who are, uh, who are screaming and they get up and they play on. If he stayed down or if a player stays down, like if, let's talk about like Raul Jimenez. You know, we're talking about yep. somebody who literally, where as we speak, we don't even know if he's going to play again. Yep. So I don't want to make it too much of a massive thing where I'm saying, but the screaming for me from anyone is not mm. necessary. And what I said to the BBC now, now that we're doing that, because we've been speaking about it for weeks before. Oh my God, the screaming. Oh my God. In the office, everybody, as soon as there's a foul, everybody does the scream, right? You know, everybody does the scream, how loud it was. And I said to them, if there's no consistency, because what we saw was a lot of people mentioning Harry Kane, mentioning this one, mentioning that. If they're not going to do it with them, then I spoke to the BBC. I spoke to the boss, the main boss, spoke to him. I said, if that's not going to happen, then I'm compromised. And Mm -hmm. I can't afford for Lacazette and Arsenal fans and people to feel that I'm ridiculing a player. I'm ridiculing the screaming. Like I say, the main thing was making that right with Lacazette. I'm not bothered about what comes back in respect of people digging out, right? But I needed to make sure he was okay with that. And he was, he was. Yeah, I mean, because basically a lot of the stuff I saw about it was just people like, how dare you do that to Lacazette? You two Mm -hmm. are supposed to be like pals and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So... You hit up like you hit up Laka. Absolutely. And he Had just to. said, what was the thing he just said? He was just like, it's nothing, yeah, man. man. Don't worry no, about man. it. No, man, it's nothing, man. It's ain't a thing. That's nothing. That's not a thing, bro. That's yeah, don't worry thing. about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, to the point where I said, and, and I'm glad you're, you're okay as well. You know what I mean? The kind of job. Yeah. You, you ain't, because sometimes what I see with social media uh, is, is that they want this fucking round house fucking pylon, bro. They mm-hmm. want it. They want, it's like they want to see what the fly looks like when you've pulled its wings off. They want to just watch that, bro. And it's, yeah. it's really, it's really tiring. Yeah. I mean, I it's wanted to really touch on something like that in a little bit, but I just wanted to say about the lack of thing first, mm. because like, 
you know, I'm, I'm an Arsenal fan. I grew up watching you play, like obviously over the last, what, eight months or so, mm-hmm. we've started working together a little bit more. We met for the first time like 18 months ago. At the Emirates. At the Emirates, yeah. I've been through that whole cycle. And I, I don't mind saying this to your face, you know, because it's, it's like, but you're a club legend at the club that I support and that mm-hmm. I grew up supporting that my dad spent some time at as well as a, as a never as a first team player, but as a player, you know. Mm-hmm. I know that with Stadio stuff, I have to be a lot more balanced than mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty balanced on there. You know, I can pray Spurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wanted to say a few things as an Arsenal fan about yeah. this because yeah. I was watching it thinking like, okay, so if I didn't know righty now, how would I view this? And I'd be like, well, first of all, like not wanting to get into like Gary Neville getting out the sky pad on Monday Night Football <laughs> for it. You can see here, Carragher, right? What he's done is he's hesitated slightly. And then he's gone for it. And you can tell that you're not really feeling it, right? Mm-hmm. And that you just, it's live TV and you've just been caught up in the moment a little bit. And that's it. It ain't that deep, basically. Right. People are, not, think, people are not that calculated to think like that. But the thing is also, I never say we or us when I'm talking about Arsenal mm-hmm. on Stadio. I sometimes say it on Ray's house because mm-hmm. usually when it's you, me and Jeanette, right? Yes, we, it is us. But I never do that on Stadio because I don't want it to be a partisan podcast. It's not an Arsenal podcast. And the same with, it's not a Manchester United podcast. And this right. is a Manchester United fan. I was thinking if I didn't know you and I was watching that, I was like, and this isn't necessarily a criticism of you. This is more of a criticism as a viewer of Match of the Day. I'd be like, yeah, it's a bit crap, but I can yeah. see why they've done it. At the end of the day, it's just a bit crap. But the pushback in terms of like, you're some actual club ambassador, I think frankly is a little bit bullshit because <laughs> I can't think of anyone in the punditry world that's as pro Arsenal or the club that they played for as you are with Arsenal. It's always we, it's always us. It's always like, when things are going well, you stray into fandom. And mm-hmm. I think people love that. But what also people fail to understand is that, you know, Laka a hell of a lot better than yeah. anyone pushing back on that. Mm. It'd be like me taking the piss out of Musa on here and mm-hmm. a load of people being like, well, you're out of I'm ashamed of you, Ryan. What the hell are you doing? How dare you dig Musa out like yeah. that? And I'm like, mm-hmm. hang on a minute. You have no idea what mine and Musa's relationship is like. <laughs> you have no idea. And you're also assuming that I am that much of a bad friend. Mm that I don't know where the line is. Yeah. And I think it goes on to something else at the moment like, that you and I were talking about on Sunday, actually, when we, when we had that chat on the phone. Mm. And it's happened a couple of times with Stadio, and I don't want to make it about me or, 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 or Musa, right. but I think that like, it's something I, I, I talked about on Stadio on Monday with regards to Liverpool. And we mentioned it last week or the week before when we were talking about Josip Ilicic from Atalanta about mm. everyone's, everyone's going through the pandemic. Your circumstances are vastly different from a number of people who might be watching Match of the Day or who don't have, you know, the kind of, I don't want to use this stuff, but like the wealth or the comfort that you have, right? right. Which is a fair thing to say. But it doesn't mean that you're still not going through it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're still not worried about your family or you've had to have your kids at home for a long period of time because they couldn't go to school or you can't see members of your family or you're worried about elderly members of your family or... Mm. It's a small thing, but none of us have been able to get together since we started doing Wright's House. We've yeah. never been able to do any of that. From my point of view, obviously, straight white dude on the internet, the kind of the least, in terms of like being affected by, by hate, let's say, yeah. in terms of a demographic. But I think because people hear Musa and I being quite cheerful and jovial on Stadio twice yeah. a week, yeah. everyone feel, just yeah. assumes we're fine. Everyone, I, think, yeah. I think everyone yeah. assumes that we're just skateboarding through mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But we're not. Like Musa and I, we've lived alone throughout the whole of the pandemic. Mm. We live in a different country to our family. I've lost a family member. Mm-hmm. 
through COVID. My grandparents are getting to an age where not seeing them for well over a year is worrying me. This isn't a sub story, but what I'm saying is that just because you're on Match of the Day Mm -hmm. or ITV or any of that stuff, you're still dealing with the pandemic. I've noticed that Twitter has got a hell of a lot more charged during the pandemic because people are obviously stuck inside. around, yeah. Clicks but, we, but we always say on Stadio that we really hope everyone's staying yeah. safe and doing okay. Yeah. And we genuinely mean that. The only thing I would chuck in here in terms of advice is that just think a little bit before you tweet I, something. Because I, just because you're Ian Wright or just because, you know, Musa is Musa and you have high profiles and high followings on, on Twitter, doesn't mean that you won't see it. There's a human mm. being at the end of a, of a message and there's a human being at the end of a tweet. And in my weird fucking rambly way, what I'm trying to say is that the match of the day thing mm. and the Oprah thing, mm. I don't think are massively isolated. And it's all part of the same thing where just think about things before you tweet mm. someone. Because like I said with the Oprah meme, is it really fucking worth it? I know. The thing is right. I'd love, I'd love that. But you know, that's, that's dreamland kind of thing to, to say to somebody to think about. It. Because even like we mentioned, the guy who put it out there and at me in, um, it, the, the blatant disregard of everything what he's just done and just feeling like I'm just going to jump on. It's just, he's the arrogance of it. But what I would say with Arsenal fans and, 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 the, and the Lacazette situation is they know me. That was a mistake. So to come with your zero to 10 and you go straight to 10 because you see me doing that, you know, it just feels like, well, but what about the, what about what I've got about the credit in the bank? What about the fact that, you know, the BBC and like for years, like whether I'm on ITV or BBC, you know, with England, it's us. Mm-hmm. You know, if Arsenal is we and us. The amount of times I've been told, um, yeah, Ian, and the amount of times you're getting people saying, um, yeah, Ian, it's, um, it's you, you know, you're meant to have an unbiased opinion. I said, I've got an unbiased opinion, but I can't just naturally when that comes in, I'm speaking about Arsenal, not say us. I'm not sure that people understand exactly what the club mean to me, but you know, I'm not going to go deep into that again. Everybody who knows my story should know what it means to me. Going way back early eighties with David Rowcastle and how it all started to end up being there, doing what happened, doing what I did there and everything going like it did. I'm not going to stop saying we or us. So it's accepted by the BBC, by the, and to be, to, to a certain extent, it's accepted by fans now. Mm. because they will hear, I will speak about Arsenal. And if Arsenal need to be critiqued, I'll do that. And it's coming from a place of love. I'm not looking to lambast my club. And, you, and I, I never see you dig never, anywhere. Ever. I, won't do, I won't do it. What I'm saying is, is that people know what I'm about, where it comes from. It comes from a pure place. Mm. I made a mistake with Lack and Laughing at the end with Gary Lineker. And like I say, it doesn't really affect Gary Lineker or Dion Dublin like it affects me. Now, I'm probably going to have to hold that one and I don't mind. The reason why I don't mind is because I've spoken to Laka. Yeah, and he's the him. only guy who matters That's here. the only person that matters. But um, I, it just disappoints me when I see Arsenal fans. And obviously there's an old new, millenn- old new generations of Arsenal fans that didn't see me play. They don't really know the deepness of my attachment and my love. They just see me on the television. They see me talking about it. And I, but the fact is, is that there's nothing I would do to try and besmirch Arsenal name, a player's name and that. And my big mistake was, was that scream at the end. No, I made a mistake. Can I, can I jump in there though? Can yeah, I, yeah is- but right. I want to own that simply because if you don't own it, they just keep coming. Yeah. 
It's fine. The, the two things I was going to say, I was like, everyone makes mistakes all the time. And it's how you deal with those mistakes that is the mo- most important thing because no one's perfect. We're human. Like we all fuck up like mm. all the time. The second point I want to make is that in the grand fucking scheme of things that of everything that's gone on this week, it's minor. Mm. It's minor, man. Like honestly, it doesn't feel minor. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. I've been an Arsenal fan since I could walk. Mm. Right before that, you know, my dad signed for the club when he was 12. Mm. Played centre midfield in the youth team with Liam Brady. Like no one can fuck around with my Arsenal fandom. Like no one can do it, and I and they won't. I've had a thing this year where I've been like, I'm zen about Arsenal because Mm. there's a pandemic going on. I just want them all to stay healthy and happy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. there are bigger things at play here. You reluctantly joining in with a jokey scream about players screaming at the end of match of the day in the grand Mm. scheme of things, like for the outrage, I would have loved to have seen people get that outraged about the Oprah meme, put it that way. Wow, exactly. Exactly. And I think perspective is needed here because I'm lucky enough that we've got to know each other, right? So I knew that you'd be on the phone to Lacazette. Yeah. In the same way that if a load of people came for me on Twitter for calling Musa catfish, which he is, by the way, <laughs> I would be like, well, first of all, like when was the last time you spoke to Musa? Mm-hmm. Second of all, how many times have you had to sit in front of him and, order, and see him order another slice of cake when he's just had one? <laughs> he's my pal and I love him and I would never do anything to hurt him. And you would never do that with yeah, Lacazette. Absolutely. absolutely. But right. To be able to to explain that when literally everyone can we speak to Ian about this? Can we speak to Ian about this? No, I'll say it on here and it's done. I'm going to say it in my house wearing a onesie. In my yard, <laughs> in my yard to <laughs> rasclart. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Before we move on, on the last episode of Stadio, I said that Celtic drew a Dundee on the weekend. And I want to apologise to all Dundee and Dundee United fans because obviously Celtic drew with Dundee United. I'm a silly boy. so. And I said I'd put it on the next podcast. So there you go. You ain't the only one who fucked up this week, right? <laughs> <laughs> Quick one before we uh, go on. Go on. My dad messaged me the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I love when you and your dad, your dad get involved. I love Shouts it. to dad. I think dad is so invested in Wrighty's house now that he, he thinks he's part of the squad. He's part of the squad. So Saturday, Sean's on Soccer AM. Right. That's it. <laughs> is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I just wrote, right, Phillips, question mark. And he just wrote, yep. That was just it. Like, Haven't heard from him since. Where, Haven't heard from him since. I love that. It's just, Sean's on. So make sure you watch Sean. Sean's on. I love that. I've never met Sean. <laughs> it's funny because I was really, because even now, just quickly, right? Yeah. Sean was on that and you know you have to, so you have to do a penalty, you have to do a volley, mm-hmm. you have to take the keeper on one on one and you have to hit the crossbar and he'd done all four. <laughs> and it was like, I was so nervous, but like then when he, I, I was, I was always more nervous about Sean and Bradley when they played than, than ever myself. Really? Oh, it was fucking horrible, right? To the point where 
I stopped going to Chelsea. I had to stop going to Chelsea. The shit that he would get. And like people know that you're in earshot. Mm. Fucking stuff that they used to say. So it's still, anytime he's got to perform or do anything, it makes me nervous. Really? Yeah, it makes me, I'm very nervous. It was something that I didn't realise. You, you know, you think you're going to go and watch a game with your, with your, with your son. And honestly, what him and Bradley went through just to become professionals, Ryan, it's, you know, their, their journey was even tougher, even tougher than mine, Sean's mm. especially. So once they made it and got to there, you're thinking, oh my God, I'm so proud of that. Soon as you walk in there and you sit down, your stomach turns into mush. Yeah, I bet. Mush, you know, especially playing for England. It's even worse, you know. So I'm glad the way he blasted onto the scene, done well for himself, but constantly telling me about, you know, he's, he's got a couple more caps, which is like, that's kind of, that kind of sits you down whenever you're talking. Whatever he's I, got a couple more caps than you? He's got a couple more, yeah. So no way. Yeah, he sits me down, man. Because <laughs> I, I got 33. <laughs> 33. I think Sean has got 36. That Sean, that is a flex. It's a beautiful flex as well. Why was that not on the Christmas Facebook ads? <laughs> that should have been on. Because, because he's because he hasn't got the same quickness in his banter as me. He's just oh. realised he's just found that. But Hey, listen, don't, don't, because you're going to have a load of people come after you on Twitter being like, how dare he go after Sean like that? <laughs> how dare he go? So when we go into it and then it gets so side, then it'll just go, get your caps on the table. <laughs> That's like, you, you, you cheeky little bastard. Sean, that is amazing. Beautiful. Hey, Sean, I don't know, Sean, does Sean listen to this? I'm sure Sean listens. Sean, you're amazing. On Sean quickly before we move on. I met him when I was a kid. Seriously? Where'd you meet him? When he was at City, mm. they were training at my school playing fields one summer. Wow. I was, re- I was really starstruck, man, when I met him because he was like exploding onto the scene and everyone yeah, was man. just like, Sean Matt Phillips, man. That's right. That's right, son. <laughs> on the boys, though, quickly before we move on. Them, yeah. I mean, they've done all right, huh? You know, the thing is, is um, like I say, right, I, I, just as a parent, you're watching... Uh, just as a parent and all you want is for them to do well. So from a young age, all I'd say to them, when I used to take them to football and watch from afar is, you know, if you want to play at a high level, pass your teammates, do not give the ball away. Mm. Said to Bradley, hit the target. From a young age, I'd say to Bradley about hitting the target. And I think that that's something that you've got to tell strikers. You've got to make them know that it's muscle memory that, when they get anywhere near the goal, the first thing in their mind should be hitting the target. Mm. As you do that, what will happen is, is that you get more and more adept at knowing you're going to hit the target, then you can start being more precise. And that is what, that's why I like the beautiful finishes. When we're allowed to be around people again. Yeah. You know, what I'd love to do on Writer's House is a round table of um, player parents talking about their kids playing. Wow. It's like you, Patrick. Claudio Reyna and Danielle Egan talking about Geo and like uh, Alfie talking about Erling and all You know the thing people. about it is, is that why that would be amazing mm. is because I don't think anyone as a parent, and the fact is, is even Robin Van Persie, I know that Robin Van Persie's son's really good, but hopefully he'll make it. But it's just getting, getting that, that, the professional advice from a young age when you see something. Because when Sean and Bradley were younger, especially Bradley, because Nottingham Forest, only took Sean on the provide that they were getting Bradley. Really? Absolutely, yeah. Wow. That's what so they got Bradley, then they took Sean. Because when they released, they released them, they both just went, Man City just went, we'll take you, bam. Yeah. 
both of them, both of them got to the first team. But I remember continually telling them things like that. You touch, no, no, no. When you're receiving that, you have to make sure that you know where he is, where he's coming from, make a move, then go to receive it. So when you get it, if your touch is bad, which it shouldn't be, you've got time to maybe readjust yourself. So you're telling them stuff that is what professionals do when they're kids. So if they get it and they're good enough and they've got the ability, like all these people, like we're talking about all the kids and that, they've obviously got the ability. Mm. You ingrain that from a young age, then they're already at a level that when they're playing, that um, other kids are not at. And mm. that is why you can see where, wow, look at his touch. You will very, very seldom, you know, you probably won't find a professional footballer who's got a son who's a professional that is not very well versed in the intricacies of playing their particular position. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, I, I, I mentioned this quite a lot on the podcast, but even the level that my dad played at and you could just tell, like, he was never a full professional. Right. But even when I went to watch him play when he was, like, 40, playing for Vets teams and stuff, mm. and you know when you just, like, you can tell people who have played at a certain level yeah. compared to people who haven't, you know? Yeah. And, he, and he used to always guide me through stuff like that. And right. even at the level that he played at, which was semi-pro, basically. I mean, Arsenal 12 to 19, I think, played in combination, which was, right. like, the yeah, old the, the under 23s basically yeah, now yeah. but even then like even mm-hmm. then like people would like look the stuff that I would get taught from him compared to a, a parent who had never been anywhere near yeah. a professional setup mm-hmm. was wild like, absolutely wild so, so if you like then magnify that by someone who is like a club like Arsenal's second highest record goal scorer <laughs> but I mean the thing I was going to ask you though was like because I think a lot of people they're, they're obviously just they always want to compare the parent to the the mm-hmm. child, right? As a parent in that scenario, you want them to be better, right? You mm-hmm. want them to hit yeah. higher heights. Yeah. There's never any like, oh, actually I did Absolutely. this, your dad did this. You want them to be no, like... No, no, no. And the thing is, both of them, and I'm not just saying, when you look at technical ability, like Bradley's link up play and play. I used to see Bradley playing when he was nine, eight, nine and 10 in, in and around that age. Same with Sean, where they'd pop the ball off and move, mm-hmm. pass the ball into somebody and make a move and go. And that's when I remember, I remember one time saying to Mark Bright, when I, after watching Sean and stuff, I said, a boy can play, bro. Um, I, th- I, th- I honestly think a lot of people have forgotten how good Sean was. But the thing is with it, right, is that, you know, you say your boy can play. It's very, you have to be very careful because of the pressure that they will come yeah. under. So when I say, I say, he's doing things. Same with Bradley. Bradley, when I was 12, when I watched them two, when they were both 12 at different stages, obviously, because Sean's older, they would, Bradley would go link up the play and move, which I didn't have a fucking clue about when I was 12. Remember, I I think I've said on this podcast about having to learn the game on the fly when I got to Palace, learning certain things. But then I passed that to them. So when they were 12 and that, I'd see them go link the play and move. Whereas me, Jesus Christ, I'd go, get the ball, turn around. I literally cannot remember from the age of nine to 12 passing to anyone else mm. until you start playing at the district and you're watching people popping it off and that. Then you see, but when you get into the, when you get into the professional game, you see what it's about. Your movement helps other people. Mm. What you do, your link up play helps somebody else. Mm. And that's what I learned, especially going to Arsenal. Mm. You have to make moves so other people can get space. Because yeah. there's other people on the pitch just as good as you, some better, 
that they need to do their bit as well to help the team. It's not just like when I was younger, I have to get the ball. I have to beat everybody because I'm the quickest and I have to score the goals. Yeah, I, Like I mentioned about learning, t- teaching the guys that from an early age, then obviously I, I've, I've mentioned that I've had to learn it on the fly at Palace at 22. When I got to England and international level, it went to another level of movement, touch. You literally, you cannot get the movement wrong. You cannot get the touch wrong. Because mm. when you lose the ball at international level, which is something that I was more petrified of than anything, you're not getting it back. Sorry, was that Italy-England game in Rome like when you were like, I've leveled up again? That, that, I leveled up. Leveled up wow. because I know I'm playing against the best. I'm going into the game knowing that this is the, the weakest part of my game mm. has to be the strongest on this particular day. Something that I always thought that I wasn't very good at. And I learned, I didn't realize, sometimes I watch games now and I say, blimey, that's good link up play. But it was <laughs> something that I, I, I um, go, going into games, I was absolutely petrified of getting my, my movement wrong to get the touch, to lay off for other people to benefit. And when I played in that game, which for me, like I say, if I scored, it didn't hit the post, it would have easily have been the greatest, the greatest performance I've put in, in a game because not only was I literally on my own up front, Teddy was behind me, Teddy Shane was behind me, but I was closing them all down. I mm. worked hard, I ran. And it's t- to the point where when I got that chance where I hit the post, it was like nearly 90 minutes and I was still full of running. And I blasted past Chiro Ferrara, went mm. past the goalkeeper, tried to cut it back, then hit the post and that. But the point I'm making is, is that the level you have to go to in respects of your runs and your touch is it was just like it was it, it was an education and after that game i felt i i felt like i'm i'm here yeah. i'm actually here i've i I've, I've done it i'm on this level and I'm, i don't look out of place yeah and i mean that, you, you didn't me, i remember honestly, watching that game no but didn't. right right but the thing is you say that but like the point i was making before what i was trying to make was i've never been so afraid in a whole week of playing football leading to a game never been af- that afraid before or since, mm. never been that afraid. And I'm just so pleased the way it went. You know, I'd love to watch that 90 minutes of, of football, knowing how I felt before I went into that game, then watching it. And then I've got a picture at my house of me at, at, at the end of the game and I'm in the middle of the pitch and clenched. And I think I'm mm. crying. Mm. I'm not sure. I think I'm crying and I'm like this, right? And, and tears, um, I, I think, because... In that moment, I realized that I'd done it, bro. Yeah. It was, you know, I think about it now, it makes me want to cry. I was crying. I remember when I was crying and this is the thing what's kind of, what kind of takes you out of the crying because Robbie Fowler, Steve McMahon, and those guys, man, they're cool. The Scousers, (laughs) they are so real. They're so real. And I remember I was crying. I was down like this and I was crying. Robbie Fowler came over to pick me up to, (laughs) to pick me up to say, well done. And when I turned around, I had the contorted face of, emotion and crying face like this. And Robbie went, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It kind of made me think, yeah, let me just fix up myself. But that is amazing. It was honestly, it was like that, but he gave me a hug and said, yeah, well done. Well played. Because what happened is, is on that night as well, center forwards recognized the, the game I played that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was you like, know? oh, right, yeah, he's in yeah. the, uh, if there was like a secret club, you were kind of, you yeah, got the I invite the next week. I feel like I got the thing. invite to, to get in, but. Like, I was on the phone to Go my on. old mate, Ruben, shouts to Ruben Platt, good dude. And he was like, oh, I actually had a question that I was wondering like, when you do a, a mailbag on Wrighty's house. And I was like, well, I'll just ask him this week. But he said, mm-hmm. he said, uh, 
Yeah, but I'm a bit worried it might like bum him out a bit. No. And he said, um, was there one chance you wish you could have, have back? That, that, that and is it's it. that one, right? Absolutely. It. Yeah. You know, even when I watch it, you know, Ruben, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant question simply because you, you never get over that, mm. that, that, that chance. What more could you have done? And sometimes I think to myself, should I have come out and tried to, tried to hit it? But remember, we've got Carnivaro trying to get back, Maldini, all these lot trying to get back. And I've gone past the goalkeeper running out of space thinking, I know I haven't got time. I know I haven't got time to get it back and take more than a touch to try and hit it on target. Even when I, when I watch it back, I think I'm not sure what more I could have done. But if I could have, just for the satisfaction of the way I played in that game, to round it off with a goal. But when I look back at it, right, there's nothing about how it went for me that I can say, I, I really, ugh, I wish this and I wish that yeah. I had it. I took, I took full advantage of it. The thing with Rome, though, is that there's part of me that's kind of glad it never went in. Why? Because there are very few positive misses that you can recall hmm. in football history. Oh, my God. Do you know I what I mean? know where you're going. I know where you're because going. Because the thing is, it was ultimately a really glorious night for England, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those happy misses, like Pelé versus Uruguay. Oh, my God. You know something? Again, it's the same as with my miss against Italy. Every time I see it, I think this it's going to go in this time. Mm. But you know what was beautiful? It's just the, the body swerve. And then, you know, to, tr- to try and hit it. I remember telling people about hitting the ball when you're, when you're falling over. Mm. And then when he missed it. There's three things that Pele have done it, what didn't, didn't end up with a goal that were absolutely orgasmic to watch. One was, I think, I'm not sure if it was the same game where he tried to hit it from the halfway line, just before the yeah. halfway line. Right. The other one was the goalkeeper. Is that in the Czechoslovakia? Could have been, could have been. But it was the way, like Musa says, when you're, spect- when you're a spectator on your own effort, and mm. no- normally when the chip goes in, it's, you're a spectator on your own goal. But what the whole world watching Pele try to hit one in from in his own half and it just missed. And then there's another one where he, the, the goalkeeper tries to half volley out. It goes to Pele in and around the centre circle and he hits it first time, oh, Ryan. the goal kick. And it literally, it zooms back. It, it stays maybe three feet maximum off the yeah. ground all the way like an X-set missile. And the goalkeeper saves it. And it's just like the way he hit it, he came on, he hit it side and it just like flew. And then mm. obviously the miss against Uruguay, but... I watched the documentary, right? Yeah, me too, yeah. And once I watched that documentary and I knew how great, because even my mum knew about Pele. My mum mm. was the first person who told me about the goalkeeper, Felix. My mum used to talk about the goalkeeper, Felix, right? Wow. And watching that World Cup, and I've it's my favourite World Cup, apart from, I'd say, it will be my favourite World Cup, apart from Maradona's, which I was watching, and it was just because I loved Maradona and that, but I think that 1970 was the best World Cup. But when you look, Everything that led up to that from 58 with Brazil, thinking they were going to win the first World Cup against Uruguay in 50. The pressure they were under in 50, 58 mm. against Sweden. And everything that Pele had to do from then to 1970. Rai, it was amazing. I get very emotional with stuff like this. And I mean, the thing that I realised, I was, I was, when I was listening to when I was watching it, I was like, I wonder if Antonio Pinto did the soundtrack because it was very similar to Senna. Right. And right. it was. Same guy. It was the same fellow, done yeah. it? Yeah. And I remember going to see Senna, Senna at the cinema 
the corner house in Manchester, well. yeah. rest in peace, the corner house, yeah. one of the greatest yeah. cinemas ever. Just cried the whole thing. And, and Senna has a very special place in my heart anyway for yeah. other reasons. Like he's my granddad's favorite driver. Me and my granddad right. used to watch the F1 together all that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice one. But um, there's something about these kind of documentaries that just really gets me. Mm. And I think it's the, I think it might have something to do with the current time we're in as well and the removal of like collective joy. Mm. It kind of, it adds extra weight to it, I think. And I don't know if that sounds a little bit melodramatic or, no. or over the top, no, right. but I think like seeing a load of human beings in tears, in a joyful way, celebrating mm. together in just like, almost like carnage at a moment of collective joy mm. that means it's about, I think, you know, when you're seeing, I think the thing is, it's like, you know, when you see it as well, I think like, cause I wasn't alive in 1970 and I, yeah, I was, it's my first real major footballing thing for me because yeah. it was in color. And I was, and I can't remember, I was too young for 86. Um, Anfield 89 was my first footballing memory. Not a bad one. And then the first world cup I can kind of remember being on was uh, Italy. Mm, mm. But um, I think there's, you know, when you watch moments in real time and you're like, I've just seen something historic, mm-hmm. you know? That was, um, yeah, yeah. That was for me, probably Maradona, um, 86. Yeah. Um, that, that felt like, that felt like that to me. You know, you're seeing something that's of real major significance. And you can kind of feel the, you can kind of feel like the earth shift off its axis a little bit. Something you know happens. I mean? Like, yeah. Something happens. Like, but you know, always quotes the Captain Marvel <coughs> thing, like something, or the Avengers thing where Captain Marvel pops up and it's like something has entered the upper earth atmosphere. And it's just like, yeah, something's changed. Like you can literally, yeah, you it's can almost feel. like someone Bowie died or Prince died. It's like, there yes. are moments in, in life, like when Mar- Maradona died, like when all of our heroes yeah. die, it's, it's the same thing with joy, you know, yeah. and like happiness. It's like, whoa, something's just happened that is seismic. And you can see how seismic so much of that was. But the thing that got me the most, I think, was seeing all the old Santos boys around the table eating together. There is something about sporting greats sitting together and shooting the shit about old times that will just yeah. never not be never, completely never not be fascinating great. for me. I, I, you know, when, when I watched it, right, because obviously Pele for a long time, Cruyff came along and mm. I, was, I was besotted with everything about Johan Cruyff. And I remember being able to, I got invited to, to UA for a golf day. I sat with Cruyff for three hours, bro, on the table. I've got the picture somewhere um, on my phone. My name, Ian Wright, Johan Cruyff on, on, the, on, on the same table, on those little cards. So he was massive for me. But like watching Pele, I always wanted to be, and we're talking about generational, massive turn of mm. generational talent. Same with, with Cruyff, same with Maradona, same with Messi, same with... Ronaldo, you could go on the Brazilian Ronaldo, but I didn't realize for one instant when you're that good, when you're that great, when the whole country is depending on you, when you are a symbol of the country as just a normal kid who's grown up and is an exceptional footballer, the pressure that come with that. Mm. I when I all the time I used to dream of being a footballer and wanted to, and obviously wanted to emulate them, emulate those players, what they do. But the journey that those players have, especially you look at someone like Pele, 
and everything that was going on with the dictatorship, with the dictatorship and everything that was going on with the Brazilian national team and all that. You just think that, oh, he's just playing football. He must be having a great life. He must be. The pressure that he was under for literally from the age of 17, Ryan, mm. two goals in the World Cup final till the time he finished was just immense. It was fucking ridiculous. And you, you saw people talk about Pele not speaking out about certain things, what was happening in Brazil with the dictatorship and everything and talking about Muhammad Ali and how Muhammad Ali stood up and, you know, he made a stand and people saying, well, Pele didn't do that. But what they say in the documentary, and I'm not going to give too much away, but it's, it's vitally important that people know that Pele's life under that dictatorship was under threat. If he comes out and goes and does anything or says anything against that dictatorship, he could go missing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing, that's, that's the one kind of like blot on his legacy that I think a lot of people in Brazil bring up. The thing is with stuff like that, I'm a white kid born in England, grew up in England and lives in Germany, mm. two Western democracies. My honest opinion is, I don't know what a black superstar living in a military dictatorship in the mm-hmm. 60s should have done. Exactly. That's my honest answer. That is my honest answer because yeah. I've never lived in a military dictatorship. I do not know what it's like. In an ideal world, you would have loved Pele to take a stance on that for Brazilians. Yeah. However, you just, it, like in the documentary, it says, you know, Muhammad Ali was doing it in a democracy, which doesn't, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that the work he was doing isn't significant. It really mm-hmm. was. I think that, again, with stuff like this, like Musa wrote a really great piece about Pele for The Ringer recently, mm-hmm. based around the documentary. And the only caveat that a couple of, uh, that Brazilians were coming back with was mm-hmm. the stuff he didn't, around it. A little, he didn't have. It was a little bit too neutral. Mm-hmm. However, it's like I said before, I mean, I think it's, I'm just very wary of being like, well, this is what you should have done here. Yeah, I know. Like I've never, I've never seen my friends being dragged off and mm-hmm. never been seen again. If we were going to be in a massive idol world, I think it would have been great to see him. To see him stand up for stand up and, and stuff like that. However, I, 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 I wasn't there. I don't know. I'm not. You know, we all would like to think that you would do the right thing in the right in in the situation, mm. because it's only the few special ones that stand up and put their life on the line for something that is wrong. Now, you look at Muhammad Ali, he done it, cost him the, the best part of his career. But unless, you know, God forbid, like people are going to assassinate him, Muhammad Ali wasn't going to disappear in the night or something. And as much as you could say that Pele should have done this, and should have, it's very easy to say that. Yeah. Like it's, you it's, say, it's, I mean, a dictatorship in the 60s and... It's never that cut and dried. It can't be that cut and dry. And I, I would like, you know, it's very easy for somebody who's not in Pele's position to say that. Yeah, I think he, I, I think you could tell in the documentary that was the one thing that he probably... Would have changed. He manages his words very well in the documentary, I think. But I think in, in that scenario, you could tell that he probably wishes... There's a... He, yeah. But, but obviously time and hindsight is a wonderful thing. And I think yes, the, the, the great thing about it was that I think that that 1970 win, that was Pele's World Cup. That was Pele's mm. win. It wasn't a dictatorship. It wasn't mm. the dictator's win. It wasn't the general's win. It was Pele's Pele. win. Yeah. And the other mind-blowing thing about that World Cup is just like, or that documentary, it's just the names. Just the names they, they, they've they got. There's like, oh, there's Jarzinho. Oh, there's mm. Revelino. Yeah. Oh, there's Zagallo. Mm. All of these dudes, yeah. they just sat there. And then all of a sudden, fucking Gilberto Gil 
pops up. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like Surely, the yeah. most legendary Brazilian musicians of all time. It's a great documentary, I think. Yeah. Obviously, it's a little bit of a, it's like very, very pro Pele. But rightly so. I think that there's, I think that some of the stuff he did, I think Musa articulated it a hell of a lot better than I would in his, in his, in his piece. As a younger football fan who didn't watch him play live, it made me step back a little bit yeah. in, in terms of the overall like all-time arguments. To get to the level that he got to at 17, playing in the World Cup, scoring two goals, and then from the age of 17 to now, you know, we're talking about constant, intense pressure. We are watching a life that not many people can navigate and still be there now. That must be hard in these moments because we've seen everybody, the, the mask slips. Mm. And I'm not sure when you look at Pele, you cannot look at him as a person who's represented football and think of nothing other than ultimate professional. Lovely place to finish. Wow, right. That's beautiful, man. Shall I get out of here? You got, you, you, you've got, you've got to head to the motherland, haven't you? I got, yeah. AKA the greatest city on earth. Yeah, I've got to go to what? Manchester. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to go to Manchester and do some, I've got to lay, lay down some shit. <laughs> Listen, man. I'm like, hey, I'm going to God's country, so. Say hi to my people. Yeah, man, your peeps. I let them know that you saw you in the house. I miss it. Right, thanks, man. Right, I feel better. Good. Feel better? Uh, thanks for coming, my man. Thanks for having me. God bless. Thank you very much, guys, for listening on Righty's House. You know, it's always a pleasure to speak to you guys. I'm getting so much love. I love it. All I can say now, my friends, is stay safe, stay positive, and um, we'll speak again soon. God bless. Talking to me. I don't see nobody else here. I don't see nobody else here.